Bibles with you, I ask you to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. title of my message this morning is No More Excuses. You know, God has saved each and every one of us that are here, that are saved, but when He saved us, He didn't save us just to live life on our own, do everything on our own, do everything for ourselves, and have the attitude, God, I'm here to do it by myself, but you and I will get together in the sweet by and by one day, and we'll have eternity together. But even as the church, as Christians, He doesn't call us and save us just to sit, as my pastor likes to say, sit, soak, and sour in a pew every Sunday morning. He's called us to serve, but yet so many people, so many Christians come up with excuses about why we can't do things. One of the things that, that really impressed me about the Olympics was the young man from South Africa. I don't know if you... Uh, uh, Caught him. I can't even remember his name. Somebody might. He's the fellow that's got the two artificial legs. I knew the nickname they gave him was the Blade Runner, because Pretorius. Yeah. And I don't know. Did anybody see him running? And I mean, you know, we live in a world where so many people make excuses as to why they can't do something. And here, this fellow. You're never going to walk. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do the other. And I don't think people realize the significance of the barrier that he broke. Running, I mean, a, a, a man with... And, and, and if I don't say it right, forgive me because I'm not sure what the proper verbiage, but, but somebody with a, with a disability like he had to be able to run and compete on an Olympic level with able-bodied men. I mean, to me, that was just awesome. But yet, how many of us, God calls us to do something simple, like serve, be an usher, you know, sing in the choir, bake your next door neighbor a cake and take it over to him and just tell him about Jesus, and we come up with all kinds of excuses as why we can't do it. Again, the title of the message is No More Excuses. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. But if you're physically able, out of reverence to God's word, if you'd stand, please. This is the account that Moses wrote of his experiences with God. Beginning in, ver- in chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing but most especially the doing of His Word. You may be seated. Just to give you some background, and this really isn't, I, I haven't given this, this series a title the, the past, I think this is my third message out of the book of Exodus. Just to give you some background, Moses, if you remember, the, his, uh, Pharaoh's daughter got him out of the bulrushes. And just to show you how God will bless people, Pharaoh's daughter got him, but then allowed his own birth mother and his own family to raise him until he got to a certain age where he went to the palace 
and he began he basically became Pharaoh's son and he was being trained actually to take over to take over as Pharaoh got to a point where one day he was watching things going on and he saw somebody he saw an Egyptian kill one of the Israelites and the Bible tells us that Moses looked this way and that way and when he saw nobody was looking he killed the Egyptian thinking in his mind God's called me to, to lead these folks out this must be the opportunity and they're going to see this and they're going to fall in line right behind me but we learn reading a little bit further that, that that's not the case because the next day he saw two of the Hebrews fighting with each other and when he went to, to kind of correct them, say, guys, why, why are you fighting with each other? One of them looked at him and said, oh, what are you going to do? Kill us just like you killed the Egyptian the other day. And the Bible tells us Moses took off running. He was 40, 40 years in the wilderness. As I said last week, somebody once said that, that Moses spent 40 years in Egypt thinking that he was something, spent the next 40 years in the wilderness learning that he was nothing, but then he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God, uh, learning that God could do something with nothing. Folks, we're basically in the big scheme of things. We're, we're, we're nothings. But God can do awesome things with us and through us if we make the commitment to not give any more excuses or no, no more excuses. This incident right here, he's preparing Moses to go back. And of course, Moses is making excuses. They're not going to listen to me. You know, how, how are they going to believe me and all these things? And, and some of it, I want to go over three of the excuses that Moses used. And there are three excuses that I think many times we use when, when God's calling us to do something. And keep in mind, folks, I'm a little bit bold here this morning. Just because God may not have spoken directly to you, hey, I want you to do this, that doesn't mean that God might not speak to you about doing something through your Sunday school teacher, through another ministry leader, or even, believe it or not, through your pastor. You know, God could use us to come up, or even somebody... In the congregation, if they see you've got a gift for something, hey, well, have you ever thought about using this to serve God in the church? You know, lots of times God speaks to other people. I know one of the things I've learned in my life, if I feel like God's calling me to do something, sooner or later He confirms it through Tammy. I've gotten to the point here. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> He's snickering. You know, I, I, I'm starting to learn even as a pastor that lots of times if I've got something on my heart that I think as a church maybe God's calling us to do, I won't. I, I try not to throw it out there because I don't want it to be forced. But rather, I'll just keep praying about it and sooner or later if God wants it done, I have two or three other folks come up to me and say, hey, Pastor John, let me run this by you. I, I, I just felt like God's laid this on my heart. You know, and that way, when you get that confirmation, the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. To me, when we get that confirmation from other folks, it's a pretty good sign that yeah, God's calling us to do it, and we're doing it in His time, as opposed to trying to force things. But I want to go over a few of the excuses that we use in uh, not allowing God to use us. The excuses we we make. First of all, in, in verse one, you know, suppose they won't believe me or listen to my voice. You know, Moses right off the bat said, God, well, suppose they don't believe me. 
How many times have we as Christians not, at the very least, witnessed to somebody because our, our big fear, if you will, is, well, what if they don't believe me? What if I tell them about Jesus Christ? What if I tell them what this wonderful Savior has done in my life and what He wants to do in their life and they won't believe me? And so we don't do anything. And you know, I think sometimes we don't want to share because we don't think that we've got a dynamic testimony, a dynamic witness. We think, well, you know what? I wasn't a drug addict. I, you know, I wasn't a, an alcoholic. I wasn't a prostitute. I wasn't a pimp. I, I wasn't this really bad person where God all of a sudden did this tremendous change that I can share with people. I don't have a, I don't have a testimony to share. And I think I've shared with you guys before. That's the way I used to think. I got, I got saved when I was 18, but I think my testimony is one of the greatest if you will, and, and I don't say that braggingly, but I think in my situation, it was people like me were the toughest ones to save because I thought I was good enough to get to heaven. I wasn't doing a bunch of bad things. You know, I was I was a typical 18-year-old. You know, my, 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 my folks loved me. Uh, I had a great reputation at school. The teachers loved me. I was captain of the football team. I was head photographer for the yearbook. I would go to school board meetings. I wrote for our small hometown. I, I, I wrote sports, so I was known throughout the community. You know, I had a good reputation. Everybody liked me. Some folks even loved me. I was dating a cheerleader, Tammy. You know, but it took one Sunday morning hearing, hearing a pastor Say what I had heard many, many times before. Because I even, I even believed in the Bible. I believed everything the Bible said. And one Sunday morning, I heard a pastor say, he was a guest pastor, guest speaker, what the other pastor had been saying for months. Because some, if some of y'all don't know the story, I started dating Tammy. She was a Christian. I wasn't. We went out on a couple dates. And she said, if you want to keep seeing me, you need to keep coming to church. And amen. Amen for the ladies that can do that. You know? Uh, but I had been hearing since January or February, here was the 1st of June, the same thing, but for some reason God opened my ears this morning when this pastor said, you can believe, you can be a good person and believe every single thing the Bible says and still die and go to hell because being good isn't what makes you right with God. And see, a lot of us, that might be your testimony, but we don't think that, it, that, that it's a super-duper testimony, you know. But it's kind of like these folks that go to Alcoholics Anonymous and, 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 and for drug rehab. Somebody has got to admit that there's something wrong, that they've got a problem before the problem can be taken care of. And if you're like me and you were a good person, you didn't want to admit you had a sin problem. Well, I can't be that bad. You know, I'm not, I know those folks... You know, I know some of these folks that I'm going to church with and they act worse than I do during the week, so I must be okay. You know, but God hit me that, that day. You know what? It's not, it's, it's not comparing yourself to them. It's comparing yourself to my standard. And my standard says that you're a sinner and that if you're a sinner, you're under judgment, my judgment. And that if you don't turn from your sin and turn to me, you're going to die and you're going to bust the gates of hell wide open. 
and how good you were and how popular you were and how moral you were and how religious you were on this earth isn't going to matter a hill of beans because you didn't take it far enough. But we like to give excuses. You know, we need to realize that we're not called to save people, but we're called to be witnesses. I can't save anybody. Anybody that has come to Jesus Christ here at Victory since I've been the pastor, John Hodgen didn't save you. John Hodgen may have been the vehicle where God spoke through me in a message and God's Holy Spirit convicted you and He gave your life to Jesus, but John Hodgen didn't save you. As a matter of fact, on the rare occasions where I'll visit with people and they'll say, well, Pastor, you saved me. I'm real quick to say, you know what? John Hodgen didn't do anything. Jesus Christ is the one that saved you. I just had the privilege and the blessing of being the person to share the Gospel or speak the Gospel when you finally got it. When you finally got it and said, God, I need to turn from my sin and turn to You. So we need to remember, we're not called to save people. We're just called to be witnesses. Abraham, if you remember the Old Testament, Abraham witnessed to Sodom. Didn't do any good, if you remember. And I don't remember the, the, the numbers off the top of my head, but God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And, 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 and Abraham goes, well, Lord, if, or would you destroy it if you could find a hundred righteous people? And God says, no, if I can find a hundred, I won't destroy it. Then he goes, well, Lord, far be it from me, but if you could find 50 people, would you destroy it? And God said, if there's 50, I won't destroy it. And then he went on down until I think he hit maybe 10. But they couldn't even find ten righteous people there. And so God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus Himself witnessed and shared the Gospel, but many didn't listen. So we're just called to serve. We're called to share. We're not called to save people. So we shouldn't be giving the excuse, well, they won't believe me. But they don't believe, that's on their head. I've got people right now that I've shared the gospel with, people that I've prayed that I've prayed for and talked to in my own family. And I think what hurts us sometimes is we want to be we want to we want to be able to take the horse to the water and then make him drink. But we can't do that. I think that's what hurts us sometimes. That's what hurts us so deeply when we're praying for lost family members and lost friends. But that doesn't mean we don't quit praying for them. That doesn't mean we don't quit sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them. We don't have to keep beating them over the Bible. Yeah, I still love you, but you're going to hell. You know, you don't want to do that. You just be Jesus in the flesh. Don't give any excuses about them not believing us. But what's the second excuse we, we use? I mean, I'm not equipped. I hear that on the Lord, my pastor. I don't, believe, I, I don't think God suited me to do this. Or God suited me to do that. You know what? Out of the men that were going to Miles Road back in about 1991-92, when I first started going there, when I got back into church, I would have been the last man in that congregation that I would have seen God calling in the ministry. Because there were so many men there that I felt were more mature in the faith than I was, that they knew their Bible better than I did, that I could see the hand of God working in their lives, you know, and sometimes I struggled to see it for me. And, and, and when I talked to my pastor about that, I said, why me and why not them? They, they've got all this going for them. And he just looked at me and he says, you know what, God, he called you, he didn't call them. 
But they know the Bible better than I do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they know. It doesn't matter uh, how much more mature they might be. It, it doesn't matter what kind of ministry they, they've got. You're the one that God has called for this, and because God has called you for it, He will give you what you need to do the work that He's called you to do. One of the things we need to learn is to never say, hey, I'm not equipped. Moses made excuses to God. You know, some of us, I hate to say it, lie to ourselves and even try to lie to God sometimes. Well, God, I can't do this. You can't be calling me to do this because I, I, I haven't had any training in it. You know, so many times we talk about training and, and we're trying not to chase rabbits here. But I, and this is particularly when it comes to the pulpit ministry, I would rather sit and listen to one man that I know has been God-called and God-anointed, might not have the formal education, but you can tell God's, God's got His hand on that preacher's life, than sit under a dozen preachers that might have more letters at the end of their name than they do letters in the alphabet, signifying they've gotten all this book learning, but yet God's not called them into ministry. I'm not saying that when we're in ministry, we don't try to educate ourselves and be as well-prepared and well-trained as we should be. I think that's an obligation when God calls us into any kind of ministry. But that's not the be-all and end-all. Because we've all seen pastors and staff pastors out there that might have the degrees on their wall, but there's no, there's no calling of God on their life. Grandma might have called him, or a Sunday school teacher might have called him, or, well, my dad was a preacher, so they think, they got the calling of God on their life, and they don't. We can't make excuses. Moses tried to lie. He you know, tried to actually lie. You know, he said, I'm, I'm slow of speech down in verse 10. He tried to tell God he had a stuttering problem. And I believe, this is my personal opinion, and I, I want to make it clear whenever I give my personal opinion, that it's me and not the Bible, but I believe Moses was trying to pull one over on God like he, like, like he thought he could for two reasons. Number one, back in that day and time, if somebody had some kind of impediment, they would keep them out of leadership positions. He wouldn't have been Pharaoh. He was being trained to be Pharaoh. But most importantly, and you don't have to turn here right now, just write it down, Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen, as he was talking to the religious leaders about it, we read that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and here's the clincher, and was mighty in words and deeds. He was mighty in words and deeds. Now, if he really had a speech impediment, which Stephen had said, he was mighty in words and deeds. I don't know. Again, that's my opinion. I can't, you know, we can't take it for fact just based on one passage of Scripture. Because I'm very careful about not trying to pull Scripture out of context, but, but have it as, as it's applied throughout the Bible. But again, God, I mean, Moses was giving God excuses. Sometimes we give God excuses. Well, God, I'm not, I'm not cut out for that. I've not been trained for that. But we need to be honest enough to ask ourselves, are we telling God no? Are we giving Him an excuse because we really feel inadequate? Or is it because we don't want to be bothered? God, if I give in to this, I'm going to have to make some changes in my life. In other words, if I give in to this, there might have to be some sacrifices because some of the things I might want to be doing, I'm not going to be able to do because you've called me to do this. 
And I don't want to do that. Folks, for those of you that are fairly new, I learned that the hard way. I knew within a month after I got saved that God called me to preach, but I fought it for, for some 10 or 12 years. And, and, and amazingly, He was gracious enough with me where one Sunday morning down at Miles Road Baptist Church in Somerville, South Carolina, the second mess, second Sunday I was there, it was like he, I've shared with folks, he knocked me up, it's like he knocked me upside the head with a two-by-four and said, Son, you've been doing it your way all these years. I want you to straighten up now and do what I've called you to do. God was gracious that He gave me that period of time because He very easily could have said, You know what? You want to be disobedient? Fine. You're not going to do it. You're going to miss out on the blessing of what I want to do with you and what I want to do through you for my glory. Is it because we feel inadequate or is it because we don't want to be bothered? You know, God in, in verse 12 and in verse 15 of this chapter tells Moses, I will be your mouth and I will teach you. And so it wasn't a matter of, of, of Moses being trained enough or educated enough. It was a matter of obedience. It was a matter of faith. God Himself said, I will teach you. I'll put the words in your mouth. As a matter of fact, you don't have to turn here, but, but you might want to write this down. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus is instructing the, the apostles and getting ready to send them out. And He even kind of prophesies about what's going to happen to them. In verse 18, He says, You'll be brought before governors and kings for My sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But here's the clincher in verse 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. There's a saying that God doesn't call the equipped, but God, rather God equips the call. It's not a matter of us being, being trained up. It's a matter of us not making any more excuses and saying, God, here I am, and allow God to do the work through us. Even to the point of putting the words in our mouth when He gives us opportunities to share, when He gives us opportunity to serve. Again, He doesn't call the equip. He equips the call. He's not concerned with our abilities. He's concerned with our availability. And we need to realize that if we're equipped, or if we, if, if we were right out the bat equipped, or if we were right off the bat gifted, then the glory would come to us instead of God. There have been times where I've really wanted to, to pursue my PhD, get my doctorate in ministry. Several reasons. But I mean, to me, they really weren't the right ones. One of them is, you know what? I'm studying all week anyway. I might as well get credit for it. You know, another reason is, well, my mom would be proud and have somebody say, hey, I've got a doctor in the family. You know, I could be equipped. I could have all the knowledge in the world. And there would be people that would, and again, I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but, well, pastor did that out of his knowledge. I'm, I'm really indebted to the pastor for helping me in this situation or for helping me in this other situation or for leading me down this path or the other path. I might get the glory. But God works it out in our lives so He gets the glory. Paul talks about, I think in Corinthians, about the foolishness of preaching. He said, not many are called. He talks about the foolishness of, pre of, of preaching 
to, to, and I'm paraphrasing here, to confound the minds of the, of, of, of the wise, meaning the worldly wise, and of the intelligent. I used to think sometimes, man, wouldn't it be awesome if somebody, and this was back in his heyday when he was a whole lot more popular, if somebody like Ted Turner came to know Jesus Christ and used all of his television stations to spread the gospel. And as I prayed about it and thought about it, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it would be good. But how many folks would probably give him the credit as opposed to giving God the credit? Well, the only reason people are supposedly coming to that Jesus they say they believe in is because Ted Turner's had it splattered over his TV stations for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God calls us as we are. And then He equips us. He gifts us. They won't believe me. We can't give that excuse. Well, I'm not equipped. We can't give that excuse. And then this last one here, and there's a few more in here, but I wanted in true Baptist fashion keep it to try to keep it to three points. I can't do it alone. How many of us have said that? Number one, we need to realize that we're not doing it alone. God's with us. In verse 14 here, we read, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. Folks, God won't call us and then not provide the people or the resources that we need to help us do what God's called us to do. And that word anger there, I was reading it this morning and I hadn't looked that word up in the concordance. There's several several definitions in Strong's concordance of the word anger. And from what I understood of this one, it's an anger, I guess the best way to describe it is it's not so much anger as it is frustration where maybe God's speaking to Moses and he's, and he's saying, why don't you get this? Why don't you get this? You know how sometimes we get frustrated with our kids? You know, this is simple. All you've got to do, you know, is, is do this and do this and it's all going to work out. Or, you know, if you do... I know some math teachers I had over the years probably had that kind of... Well, probably got worse with me. But they probably started out with that frustration. Hodgin, it's so simple. Y is equal to MX plus B. Don't ask me what that formula stands for because I don't remember anymore. Slope. 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 See, we got some brainiacs here. You know, it's so simple. Why don't you get it? And I believe that's the way God was with, with Moses here. He wasn't mad that, you know what, if you say one more word, I'm going to strike you down, boy. It was, why don't you get it? I've already shown you the, the, the staff. You put your hand in, in, in inside your coat and pulled it out and it was leprous. You pulled it, put it back in and pulled it out. It was healed. Why don't you get this? And I think sometimes God has that same frustration with us. When we say, man, I can't do it alone, or I'm not equipped, or they, or they won't believe me, why don't you get it? I'm going to be there with you. As a matter of fact, I'm not only going to be there with you, I'm going to be walking before you and paving the way. Like that old movie, The Mighty Ducks, The Flying V. God's going before us and plowing all the, all the prob- I won't say problems, all the obstacles out of the way. See, God even knew that Aaron was already... He knew before he and Moses got the, got the verse 1 of chapter 4. 
God knew what Moses was going to do and Aaron was already on the way. Because by the time they were at the end of this conversation, God's like, look, isn't that your brother Moses? Like God didn't know. <laughs> hey Moses, I mean, isn't that your brother Aaron? Hey Moses, isn't that your brother Aaron? He's coming to see you right now. I'll use him to be your mouth. God knew before the conversation started in verse in chapter 4. God knew before the conversation started in eternity past the excuses that Moses was going to give and provided a way for him to still do it. Whenever we have said no to God or we've made excuses, God in eternity past knew what excuses we were going to give and He's made a way where those excuses are not valid. Where if we're willing to be obedient to Him, He's going to make it all happen. We need to realize that God will not call us to do something and then provide the people or the resources to get it done. And then even on the off chance, we were reading about Jeremiah in, in Sunday school this morning. He was the only one, the weeping prophet. God had called him to go preach to the people. And God told him at the beginning, they're not going to listen to a thing you got to say. But even if God does call us to go it alone, He's still going to provide us all we need. What did Jesus say back there that I shared earlier in Matthew 10, verse 19? I'll put the words in your mouth. And it's not just the words. I'll put the things in your path that you need to do what I've called you to do if you're faithful. We need to realize that even if we're called to go it alone, we're never alone because God's Holy Spirit is in us and God's Holy Spirit goes before us to pave the way, to set everything up. Kind of, and this might be a bad example, but I think it kind of relates what Rachel does with the Marine Band. Lots of times she'll go to when they're going to be doing a concert a week or so ahead of time to kind of like pave the way to get everything right so that way when the band comes in there, they come in, everything goes hopefully smoothly and they do their concert and then they're out of there. And that's kind of like what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will go in front of us. Pave the way. Not to say that there won't be obstacles. I'm trying to deliberately say not say problems because if God's in control, they're not problems, they're obstacles that we either go around, go under, go through. Or go over top of. Keep making forward progress. They won't believe me. I'm not equipped. I can't do it alone. We need to remember that obedience brings God's blessing. If we're willing to say, God, I have no idea why you've called me, and I still do that on a regular basis. God, why'd you call me? There are some days it's more of, God, why did you call me? <laughs> As opposed to, God, why did you call me? But we need to realize that, that even in those times, if we're obedient, God's going to bless. And I've learned over the years in ministry that there's a lot of hills and valleys. But if I continue doing what God's called me to do, the blessings way, way, way outweigh the obstacles that I've got to deal with. And I'll be a little bit selfish here and even say the problems that I've got to deal with. Even though I just said when God does it, they're not problems, they're obstacles. Because sometimes I get just like everybody else. But when I come into my right mind, my Holy Spirit mind, if you will, and realize God's in control, the blessings far outweigh the obstacles. 
When we're obedient, God's going to bless. When we're obedient and we do what God's called us to do, people are going, whether they want to admit it or not, people are going to know that God called us because God's Holy Spirit will convict them. I think part of the reason that some of these groups out here today are so militant and so hateful is because they're under the, under the conviction of God's Holy Spirit telling them that what they're doing is wrong. And instead of giving in to the Holy Spirit, they're fighting it. I believe in churches sometimes. There are, there are, are folks, and some, we were talking about church, you know, church splits and, and different things like that in Sunday school this morning. There, I think sometimes there are folks that, are, that, are, that have gotten so, so hard-hearted that, that, that God's Holy Spirit's convicting them and they just don't, but they don't want to give into it. My, one of the churches I served at, they, they had a split over, over uh, uh, whether or not to do a school. And when they finally gave into it, from what I understand, the group that originally wanted it was still aggravated at the way it was handled and left and started a new church anyway. They got what they wanted in the end, but it was, we don't want anything to do with these guys. And they left and started a new church. People will know God has sent us if we're obedient. And again, we, He will equip us and He'll multiply what we've got. God is the only one that can do nothing times nothing and come up with something. You know, Jeffrey Bodine, I think I shared last week, not from not, not, when he's doing his cipher with his, what, sixth grade education. God will equip us and multiply what we have. If you remember back here, Moses didn't just have a staff. God equipped him with even more with that staff. He threw it on the ground and became a serpent. He picked it up. It was a staff again. When he got in front of Pharaoh, he threw it on the ground and became a servant. It became a servant. It was a servant. It became a serpent. Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing, but the Bible tells us what happened was Moses' serpent ate the other two serpents. He picked it up again. It became a staff. He took that staff or that rod, held it up over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. He took that same staff down the line when they were in the wilderness and he hit a rock with it and water came out of it. See, it was more than just a staff. When God equips us, whether He gives us a lot of stuff or He gives us a little stuff, He makes it, He multiplies it. He makes it even more than what it looks like to us. And then lastly, again, we need to remember that he, he's, He'll go before us. While we're being obedient, God will put the people and the things in our path that we need to get the job done. When we're obedient, God will bless and give us what we need to get the job done. And you know what? I'll be honest enough with you guys because I know what, what some of you deal with. It's tough. You know, it, 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 it's tough working a 40-hour week and, and, and having kids and having family problems to deal with and, and, and then commit yourself, whether it's in the church or somewhere else, committing yourself to doing something. But God's Word has promised us that if we're obedient, guess what? If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and we're being obedient in all areas of our lives, God's going God's gonna to fit it all together. And He's going to give us the time to do it. He's going to give us the resources to do it. And nothing's going to be lacking. Question in closing this morning. What excuses are we giving God this morning? 
What excuses are we giving God this morning? Number one, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what excuses are you giving God this morning to not give your life to Him? Well, my, my parents won't understand. My spouse won't understand. My, my girlfriend and my boyfriend won't understand. I may lose some popularity with my friends. I may lose some popularity at my work. In, in, in light of eternity, is that worth and, I, and I'm not saying you disown anybody, but in light of eternity and what your eternity will be without Jesus Christ, is that worth earthly popularity right now? For those of us that don't uh, that do know him, what excuses are we giving God this morning to not serve him? What excuses are we giving God to not serve him?